Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about the hunt for the elusive sixth taste, a new discovery showing how HIV keeps fighting the immune system even with effective treatment, and the altruism of bees. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. We all know that wonderful sugary sweetness we feel when we bite into a big juicy peach, or the lip-puckering sour taste of, say, a lemon. Or, hear me out, you put them together and you get that really nice, like, lemon drop flavor that's just, like, kind of perfect. Okay, yeah, love those. Combinations of flavors, obviously, are what make foods either delicious or, you know, sometimes disgusting. (laughs) There are officially five unique and basic tastes that are kind of like the building blocks of all flavors. Do you think you can name all five? Um, okay, so they're sweet and they're sour, like you said. Mm-hmm. They're salty. Yep. Um, bitter. Yep. Uh, spicy probably doesn't count here. I, I don't know, like... Not quite. Extra bitter? Not, also not quite. The fifth one, everyone forgets. It's called umami, which is, you know, it's the rich, satisfying, savory taste you get from foods like meats and cheese or other protein-heavy foods. Okay, no, I did hear about this. Um, if you've ever had, like, uh, tamari almonds, like, you, you should try them. They, they are, like, the pinnacle of umami. Okay, nice. Sounds like something to try. Uh, Parmesan cheese, like, is packed with that umami punch. Um, so the five essential tastes, salty, sweet, bitter, sour, and umami— Well, they might be getting a new best friend. You mean like a sixth taste? Yep. This is like asking me to try and explain a color I've never seen before. I can't even begin (laughs) to imagine what this would be like. uh, Yeah, that's fair. Researchers at the USC Dornsife College of Letters, Arts, and Scientists, however, say that they have evidence that would suggest something called ammonium chloride is a sixth taste. Ammonium chloride. It doesn't really have the same ring as like sweet or salty. Wait, is this the stuff you had me lick? <laughs> so yeah, back back when we were making YouTube videos, I had a block of ammonium chloride. And yes, I had you lick it just to get that experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a really, really weird... The best way I can describe it was like licking a 9-volt battery. And... I got to admit, I've only tried it in the block form. I haven't tried it in like the actual salt. And and I agree, it's not easy to describe. But the Scandinavians might have you covered. They've actually been eating this little candy called salt licorice for at least 100 years. Okay, so salt licorice. I mean, just saying those words makes me feel like I can taste it in my mouth. That is a pretty unique sounding taste. Yes. One of its ingredients is something called salmiac salt, otherwise known as ammonium chloride. Okay, so I get that it's a really unique flavor. How do they decide if it's worthy of becoming the sixth official taste? I mean, there's a lot of unique flavors. Like I said, like 
spicy is something. It, what, what makes this one so special? Good question. It comes down to receptors. So they've known for years that our tongues have a big reaction to ammonium chloride, but without understanding the receptors involved, it was impossible to say whether this reaction was due to a combination of flavors or if ammonium chloride alone was the cause of the reaction. Okay, I, I mean, I think I see what you mean. So the flavor of something like, say, a big bowl of mac and cheese isn't just one taste. It's got salty, it's got umami, maybe even a little bit of bitterness. And all of those flavors hit different receptors and cause us to experience what is basically mac and cheese. Right, and that's why one of our five tastes isn't mac and cheesy. So was ammonium chloride the product of that kind of mashup? Well, it turns out, no. They found a protein called OTOP1 that they've observed in the past as a receptor for the sour taste. The researchers had a hunch that this receptor might also respond to ammonium chloride. And sure enough, after exposing some lab-grown human cells containing the OTOP1 gene to it, the cells responded. All right, well, we've talked about a bajillion studies on this show, and this doesn't really sound like foolproof evidence. So how do they know that the reaction in the cells had anything to do with taste? So here is the kicker. In other tests, mice with the OTOP1 gene steered clear of ammonium chloride, while mice without the gene had no problem with it whatsoever. So mice with the OTOP1 aren't huge fans of salt licorice? <laughs> I guess not. And interestingly enough, researchers think that our ability to single out ammonium chloride might have evolved to help us avoid stuff with ammonium in it because it's kind of toxic. And you had me lick it. In some forms <laughs> and quantities. Okay, I'll be honest. I find black licorice to already be kind of toxic to Nothing. my own. Yeah, it's not a flavor I care for. So I get it. But is ammonium chloride going to be etched into like the stone tablet of taste now? It's possible, although they need to do more research. Keep in mind that a Japanese scientist named Kakune Aikida suggested that umami might be a basic taste in the early 1900s, and it took about 80 years for everyone else to agree. Okay, well, I mean, if it does make it as a taste, it's going to need some rebranding because, excuse me, this chicken is too ammonium chloride for my taste, I demand a refund, isn't really going to go over very well. <laughs> Maybe they can, like, use that the salmiac, sal like, they can describe it as, like, salmi? Ah, uh, they should hire us for the branding. Over the past few decades, researchers have made huge strides in the treatments of patients with HIV. And that's the virus that causes AIDS. I know that contracting HIV in the early years was essentially a death sentence. Yeah, basically. The virus attacks the immune system by knocking out white blood cells that are responsible for fighting infections. Once those cells are gone, your body just can't fight off other infections, which leads to all kinds of other problems. And yeah, in the early days of HIV and AIDS, the outcomes were catastrophic. But breakthroughs in the 80s and 90s led to some incredible treatments and therapies that feel almost miraculous. As I understand it, some therapies can make the level of HIV in the system virtually undetectable, right? Exactly. What was once nearly 100% fatal is now considered a chronic condition. But a couple of new studies are suggesting that antiviral therapies for HIV might not be as powerful as we once thought. Ooh, no, that sounds like terrible news. Well, okay, actually, it might be good news. But let's talk a little bit about the current therapies. So the thinking for the past 20 years or so is that antiretroviral therapies basically just demolish active viruses. But, and here's the kicker, scientists know that they also leave behind what they call a reservoir of infected cells that are basically invisible to the immune system. 
Hmm. Okay, so the virus that's causing the cells to become infected goes away, but some of the cells that are already infected stick around. Right, but they didn't think those infected cells caused any harm because they weren't attacking the immune system. But the thing is, once a patient stops treatment, the virus just comes roaring back. That's what makes HIV a chronic condition. It might be invisible to the immune system, but it's still just sort of lying in wait. Got it. The therapies keep it suppressed, but they don't cure it. Right. But these new studies suggest that those infected cells... That uh, that reservoir of infected cells the therapies leave behind? Exactly. They might actually be causing more damage than scientists thought. Using fluorescent RNA probes, researchers detected viral genes in patients' helper T cells. Those are a kind of white blood cell that are absolutely essential for human immunity. So the virus was still in the T-cells? Yes, and they knew that would be the case. But they didn't expect to find the amount of virus that they found. There was just a ton. Okay, so what is going on? Like, if that's the case, why are people with HIV still living long, healthy lives? So the treatment stops the virus from replicating, but those infected cells still produce viral RNA and little bits of protein that are basically damaged HIV genes that aren't infectious. But even though they don't cause infection, it turns out they still hammer away at the immune system. So the immune system is still trying to fight it off, in other words? Yeah, basically. They described it like the immune system is running one marathon after another, which causes it to become exhausted and less able to get rid of those HIV-infected cells. So you said this might be good news, but I'm having a hard time understanding how that could possibly be. Basically, knowledge is power. Understanding this dynamic will allow researchers to build new strategies to knock out that reservoir of infected cells or to figure out new ways to bulk up the T-cell strength. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Why would you look for a solution to a problem you don't even know exists? Yep, and as our listeners know very well— The journey of a billion miles and the cure for all diseases begins with curiosity. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The bees buzzing around our flower beds in the summer might seem like aggressive stinging monsters, but it turns out they're actually pretty selfless. A new study shows that bees not only exhibit altruistic behavior, but that behavior comes from their mom's. Oh, of course. I mean, selfless behavior coming from mom, sure. Moms are the best. Couldn't agree more. So this is actually pretty interesting, but it's a little complicated. Let's start with the queen. Yes, queen. Sure. I I had to. So the queen bee gives off this pheromone that triggers a reaction in the other female worker bees in the hive. And once the females get a whiff of it, a specific gene kicks into gear in them, causing their teeny bee ovaries to basically shut off, causing them to be sterile. Oh, right. Okay, so the queen bee is the only one that mates and reproduces in the hive, so I guess that's why? Yeah. Then this is what scientists call an act of altruism. As you know, altruism is where you do something on the behalf of the well-being of someone else, even if doing that good deed puts you at risk or comes with another cost to our own well-being. So with the bees, the females basically shut down their own ability to have bee babies so the queen benefits from reproducing? 
Yep. The queen obviously has a massive genetic presence in the hive. But here's where it gets interesting. That specific gene that the females have that reacts to the queen's pheromones, they can get it from either their mother or their father, but it only shuts down their ovaries if it comes from their mother. That's interesting. So it's like sisters uniting. Exactly, yeah. The idea is that all the bees have the same mom, right? The, the queen. But the queen mates with a bunch of different males, so they don't all have the same dads. This study suggests that there could be an advantage to altruism when it comes to supporting their bee sisters and mothers. Okay, does this kind of behavior happen in other animals? It's pretty rare in other animals, in fact. At least that's what they think. It's actually pretty difficult to study, especially at a genetic level. But they hope that this study will lead other researchers to study how other species of both plants and animals experience conflict among their own populations and just what role genetics play in altruism. I see. You look tired, Nate. You should take my chair. Oh, that's so selfless of you. Thank you. See, I'm learning. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Researchers have identified a potential sixth basic taste detected by the human tongue. The complex flavor of ammonium chloride, a staple in Scandinavian salty licorice recognized by the same receptors that sense sour. This discovery not only challenges our assumptions about tastes, it also hints at an evolutionary tool for avoiding toxins, possibly reshaping the future of food flavor profiling. New research reveals that HIV continues to challenge the immune system even under antiretroviral therapy, producing non-infectious viral particles that exhaust immune defenses and present new obstacles to curing the disease. These findings shed light on why the virus rebounds so aggressively after treatment is stopped and pave the way for innovative strategies to bolster the immune response against this persistent foe. Penn State researchers have discovered that honeybees exhibit true altruism through a genetically influenced behavior known as retinue, where they assist the queen in reproduction at the cost of their own fertility. This altruistic tendency, passed down from the mother, highlights a fascinating genetic battle for behavioral dominance underpinning the intricate social structure of beehives. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.